This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, January 8th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Even our most honest efforts to be rational are beset by all manner of biases that confound us at every turn. And so we end up with lots of strange, often irrational beliefs about the world. Steven Pinker is author of Rationality, What It Is, Why It Seems Scarce, Why It Matters. He spoke at the Cato Institute's Cato Club Retreat in October. We are susceptible to fake news, such as Obama signs executive order banning the Pledge of Allegiance in schools nationwide, or Yoko Ono had an affair with Hillary Clinton in the 1970s. Many of us believe in paranormal woo-woo, such as possession by the devil, extrasensory perception, ghosts and spirits, witches, spiritual energy in mountains, trees, and crystals. I wrote Rationality to try to uh, resolve this paradox. Uh, What is rationality? Why does it at least seem so scarce, and why does it matter? Well, to begin at the beginning, what is rationality? The uh, best definition that I could come up with is, is that it is the use of knowledge to attain goals, where knowledge means justified true belief. My favorite characterization of rationality comes from the namesake of the building that I work at in Harvard, the American philosopher and psychologist William James, who tried to capture what distinguishes uh, an agent that we would all agree to be rational from superficially similar um, entity that uh, we would not credit rationality to. Here's the way he, he characterizes it. Romeo wants Juliet as the filings want the magnet, and if no obstacles intervene, he moves toward her by as straight a line as they. But Romeo and Juliet, if a wall be built between them, do not remain idiotically presenting their faces against the opposite sides like the magnet and filings with a card. Romeo soon finds a circuitous way by scaling the wall or otherwise of touching Juliet's lips directly. With the filings, the path is fixed. Whether it reaches the end depends on accidents. With the lover, it is the end which is fixed. The path may be modified indefinitely. That is a good characterization of rationality. Well, it leads to the question, how can knowledge be used to attain goals? Goals vary, and uh, so are the means of using knowledge to attain them. I think they are best captured by what we can call normative models, that is, benchmarks of rationality that define how we ought to reason, raising the question of whether how well humans follow these models, how well humans do reason. What do I mean by normative models? Well, one example is logic, which allow us to pursue the goal of deducing new true propositions from existing ones. And to the extent that we adhere to the normative model of logic, we can afford avoid fallacies like affirming the consequent. Example, every creative genius was laughed at in his time. People laugh at my ideas, therefore I am a creative genius. <laughs> Probability. The likelihood of an event depends on the number of occurrences divided by the number of opportunities. Adhering to that model helps us to avoid fallacies like the availability bias, namely that uh, in which the subjective likelihood of an event depends on how easily you can recall anecdotes and images, illustrated in the following SMBC cartoon. 
this is why people should learn statistics. And the uh, character says, I will not fly in a plane. They are not safe from terrorists. Hold on, I'll text you an article about it. <laughs> Bayes' rule, uh, how you calibrate your credence in, a, in an idea in the face of evidence. According to Bayes' rule, you should uh, believe a hypothesis to the extent that it's credible a priori, has high priors, it's consistent with the evidence, and the evidence is uncommon across the board. Allowing you to avoid fallacies like base rate neglect. This is a true story. A doctor actually said to my uh, wife, your child has a nervous twitch, so she probably has Tourette syndrome. Sending her into a momentary panic until she reconstructed Bayes' rule in her own mind and realized, well, how many kids have Tourette syndrome? How many kids have twitches? If you take those into account, just because kids with Tourette syndrome have twitches does not mean that someone who has twitches has, uh, has a Tourette syndrome. The theory of rational choice, that a rational actor should choose the option with the greatest expected utility, namely the probability multiplied by the payoff, helping us avoid uh, errors such as buying extended warranties, which uh, about half of Americans do. Does it really make sense to take out a health insurance policy on your toaster? Well, if you did the expected utility calculation, you'd realize it does not. The theory of signal detection. A fallible observer cannot know whether an observation is real, namely a signal, or bogus, that is noise, and must set a decision criterion or cutoff that trades off hits and false alarms according to their costs. And that helps us avoid fallacies such as, we should deal with misconduct by making it easier to convict the accused, which is the same as saying we should punish more innocent people. Game theory, how to make rational choices when the payoffs depend on someone else's rational choices. Helping people avoid the fallacy, such as we can avoid climate change if we convince everyone that it is in their interests to conserve, because no one wants to live in a hotter planet. The problem, of course, being that it is not in anyone's interest to conserve unless everyone else conserves at the same time. And causal inference. To distinguish causation from correlation, one must, must manipulate the putative cause, holding all else constant. Avoiding fallacies like failing to rule out confounds. My favorite illustration comes from an old Jewish joke where a sexually unsatisfied couple comes to their rabbi with their problem since it is written in Jewish law that the wife's pleasure is the responsibility of the husband. The rabbi uh, strokes his beard and he says, hmm, why don't you try this? Next time you make love, hire a young, handsome, strapping uh, man to wave a towel over you when you make love, and the, the, the fantasies will help the, the missus uh, achieve uh, satisfaction. So they try that, and they, they hire a young man, he waves the towel, and you know, no, nothing happens. Uh, they go back to the rabbi, and they say, you know, it, it didn't help, he strokes his beard again, he says, let's try a slight variation. This time we'll have the young man make love to the wife, <laughs> and then you should wave the towel. They try it, and sure, sure enough, the wife has a screaming, explosive, earth-shaking uh, climax, and the husband says to the man, schmuck, now that's the way you wave, you wave a towel. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it leads to the question, do people follow normative models of rationality? Uh, that is a, a way of reframing the question, are humans uh, rational? Well, when you pose that question, it's not a pretty sight. Here's an example from logic. Uh, um, and by the way, despite everything you've read about the replicability crisis in social psychology, the results that I'm talking about have been replicated for literally 50, uh, 50 years. So here's a, a, a simple demonstration. Every card has a number on one side and a letter on the other. Here is a potential rule. If a card has a D on one side, it must have a three on the other. The challenge is, which of the following cards do you have to turn over to determine whether the rule is true or false? There's a D, a D card, an F card, a three card, and a seven card. Why don't you pause and consult your own intuitions? Which ones do you have to turn over to test the rule if D, then three? Okay. Well, um, most people say you have to turn over the D, either the D card or the D and 3 card. The correct answer is you have to turn over the D and the 7 card. Well, why? Well, everyone knows if you turn over the D and it doesn't have a 3 on the other side, the rule is dead. That's easy. Everyone knows you don't have to turn over the F card. Most people say you have to, or a lot of people say you have to turn over the three card, but when you think about it, it's kind of irrelevant because the rule says if D, then three, not if three, then D. People fail to realize you do have to turn over the seven card because if you did turn it over and there was a D on that side, that would falsify the rule. So the common explanation is confirmation bias, that people seek evidence that confirms their, their beliefs and they fail to look for the evidence that would disconfirm them. Let me give you another example, this one from Bayesian inference, application of Bayes' rule. The probability that a woman has breast cancer across the population is 1%. If a woman does have breast cancer, the probability that she tests positive is 90%. That's the sensitivity of the test or the true positive rate. If a woman does not have breast cancer, the probability that she nevertheless tests positive is 9%. That's the false positive rate. Okay, a woman tests positive. What is the chance that she has breast cancer? Just consult your own in, uh, intuitions. I won't ask you to uh, say your guess out loud. The most popular answer in a sample of physicians is 80 to 90 percent. The correct answer is 9 percent. Okay. Well, what's going on here? The psychological phenomenon is sometimes called base rate neglect. That is, people forget about the prevalence of the condition in the population as a whole, and they just concentrate on a uh, representative stereotype. Namely, if you do have cancer, then you'll probably test positive. Uh, ignoring the fact that since the uh, base rate in the population is so low, if you get a positive, if the false positive rate is uh, not zero, chances are it'll be a false positive. So what do these fallacies show? Well, one possible conclusion, the one that we might associate with Mr. Spock, is that humans are irrational, that we are just a bundle of fallacies and uh, biases and fundamental errors. But not so fast. Here's a twist on the logic problem. Here is a rule. If a bar patron is drinking beer, he must be over 21. You are a bouncer, 
and you have to enforce the rule. Which of the following four bar patrons do you have to check? There's a guy drinking beer. Do you have to card him and find out how old he is? There's a guy drinking Coke. Do you have to card him and find out how old he is? There's a guy who's clearly over 21. Do you have to look into his cup to see what he's drinking? There's a guy who's clearly under 21. Do you have to look into the cup to see what he is drinking? Well, everyone knows you got to check the guy drinking beer. you got to check the guy under 21. But this is logically equivalent to the if D, then 3 problem. In this case, all of a sudden, everyone is a logician. They get the answer right. The uh, person under 21 uh, checking to see what's in his cup is just turning over the 7 card which people don't do when it's stated in terms of Ds and 3s and Fs and 7s, but they do when it is the content is filled out. It's called the content effect. Namely, while people are illogical when it comes to arbitrary rules with abstract symbols, they can be perfectly logical with certain kinds of meaningful content, such as obligations and uh, precautions. Well, here's a twist on the probability problem. Ten in every thousand women have breast cancer. Of these ten women, nine will test positive. Of the 990 women without breast cancer, about 89 will test positive. A woman tests positive, what is the chance that she actually has breast cancer? Now people can think, well, 98 in all test positive. Of them, nine have cancer, so the answer is nine out of 98, or approximately 9%. Now, 87% of doctors, when they the problem is stated in terms of frequencies as opposed to probabilities, get it right. Even a majority of 10-year-olds get it correct when you restate the problem in these terms. It's the difference between natural frequencies, namely concrete instances that you encounter and can tabulate, as opposed to single event probabilities, such as what is the, the somewhat mystical, metaphysical concept of what is the probability that that woman has breast cancer? Well, you know, either she does or she doesn't. What, what does it mean to say that she has a 10% chance? People do have trouble wrapping their minds around the concept of the probability of a single event. But when it comes to tabulating relative proportions of individuals, they're not so uh, obtuse. So a better conclusion about human rationality is that people use what you can call ecological rationality. They can reason about content relevant to their lives, kind of baked together with their subject matter knowledge. They can estimate probabilities as they encounter sequences of events in their lives that they can mentally tabulate. People have much more trouble with formal rationality. That is, abstract rules and formulas that they can apply across the board to any content. These must be learned and consciously deployed. Well, here's the question that I know everyone has in mind when you raise the topic of rationality. I know this when I told people I was teaching a course on rationality, writing a book on rationality, which is, if people can be rational, rational, why does humanity seem to be losing its mind? Why the fake news and the conspiracy theories and the quack cures and the paranormal woo-woo and all the rest? It's not a, a simple, the, the question does not have a simple answer, and I think the answer comes in, in four parts. First of all, we are all susceptible to motivated reasoning. Remember, when I defined rationality, I said that it is the use of knowledge in service of a goal. That goal is not necessarily objective truth. 
It can also be to win an argument in which the stakes matter to you. As Upton Sinclair said, it is hard to get a man to understand something when his livelihood depends on not understanding it. Uh, it the goal can be to prove how wise and moral your group is, your religion, your tribe, your political sect, and how stupid and evil the uh, competing sect is, uh, sometimes called the my side bias, and perhaps the most powerful and pervasive of all the cognitive biases. It's a bias that, that uh, is equally uh, prominent in the, among people on the right and on the left. It's one of the few cognitive biases that shows no correlation with IQ. Let me give you an example. Is this syllogism valid? Uh, that is, do, does the conclusion logically follow from the premises? If college admissions are fair, then affirmative action laws are no longer necessary. College admissions are not fair, therefore affirmative action laws are necessary. Okay? Well, a uh, majority of liberals believe this is a valid syllogism, and it is not. It is the fallacy of excuse me, de denying the antecedent. P implies Q, not P. You may not conclude not Q, but people do. Now, what's the explanation? Well, the uh, favorite explanation among conservatives is it shows what we knew all along. Liberals are illogical. Um, however, consider this syllogism. If less severe punishments deter people from committing crime, then capital punishment should not be used. Less severe punishments do not deter people from committing crime. Therefore, capital punishment should be used. Well, this is also an example of the logical fallacy of denying the antecedent. This time, conservatives commit the fallacy and liberals get it right. Both of them are in examples of the my side bias. Namely, you falsely think that logic is on the side of the conclusion that you wanted to be true all along. A second part of the explanation is that we all harbor primitive intuitions, probably our legacy from uh, the evolutionary process that allowed people to prosper in a traditional nat natural environment before the advent of modern science and mathematics and, and uh, data keeping. An example is the intuition of dualism. We all treat other people as if they have minds that are not the same as their bodies. We don't treat other people as robots or wind-up dolls. We assume they have beliefs and desires, which we can't see or feel directly, but which allows us to make sense of their behavior. Well, from there, it's kind of a short step to think that minds can part company with bodies and can float free of them. And so you have beliefs in spirits and souls and ghosts and an afterlife and reincarnation and ESP. We all harbor essentialist intuitions, that living things contain an a, a, um, invisible essence that gives them their form and their powers. From there, it's a short step to think that any process that deliberately induces an adulterant or a uh, um, a uh, disease-causing agent into the body must be harmful, such as a vaccine, which after all is uh, consists of injecting into someone's body the actual stuff that makes people sick. And opposition to vaccines is as old as vaccines. Genetically modified organisms, which uh, are conceived of as a kind of adulterant or pollutant and other food additives. It makes people, on the other hand, 
susceptible to homeopathy and herbal remedies, which seem to involve the infusion of something that carries the healthful essence of a substance into the body, and into quack cures like purging and bloodletting and fasting and uh, getting rid of toxins, which are not artifacts of um, New Age uh, woo-woo in the West, but ha uh, are, have independently been tried in many cultures. Many cultures have rediscovered, if you want to call it that, bloodletting as a way of curing disease, just because it fits into the intuition that if you're sick, there must be something bad inside you. To make you better, you've got to squeeze the stuff out. Teleology. We know that our plans in life and our uh, artifacts are designed with a purpose. From there, it's a short step to think that uh, the universe is designed with a purpose, and so people are susceptible to creationism and astrology and synchronicity and the intuition that everything happens for a reason. And collective self-defense. It is very easy to think we're vulnerable to ambushes and raids uh, by enemies plotting in secret, because in fact, that was the, a major threat to life and limb in traditional societies, in, in tribal societies. People weren't killed in pitched battles with two sides lined up in a battlefield chucking spears at each other. What was the real risk is that there, there would be a pre-dawn raid or a, an ambush on a, uh, a hike or a, a hunting expedition. Uh, from this intuition, it's easy to conclude that the lack of evidence for this conspiracy is proof of what a diabolical conspiracy it is. Third part of the explanation is that primitive intuitions are unlearned and objective truths are acquired only by trusting legitimate expertise. Scientists, historians, journalists, government record-keeping agencies. Few of us can actually justify our beliefs, including the true ones, by our scientific knowledge. Uh, we, even those of us who are convinced that vaccines are effective, can't really reconstruct the immunology behind it. Uh, we just kind of trust the people in, in the white coats. And surveys have shown that creationists and uh, people who deny anthropogenic climate change are no less scientifically literate than true believers. If you ask the people who do accept the scientific consensus what's causing climate change, they'll say, oh, isn't it like you know, the ozone hole or toxic waste dumps or you know, plastic straws in the ocean? People who, who, uh, most people who believe in climate change are clueless about the actual science. What predicts belief in evolution or climate change is simply political ideology. The farther you are to the right, the more you deny climate change, the more you deny evolution. Weird beliefs persist in people who don't trust the establishment, especially when the establishment flaunts its own partisan politics, when you have scientific organizations that brand themselves as branches of the political left, then you'll have people on the political right uh, rejecting them. Final part of the explanation is that uh, why do people believe weird things? Well, part of the answer is it depends what you mean by believe. Now, Bertrand Russell said, it is undesirable to believe a proposition when there is no ground whatsoever for supposing it is true. Now, if that sounds banal and trite and obvious, then um, you are a child of the Enlightenment who has assimilated a deeply weird and unnatural uh, 
uh, conviction. Uh, this is a radical and natural manifesto because most people in most eras have other reasons for believing things other than whether they can be shown to be true. People do have, uh, are committed to evidence, provability, truth when it comes to what I call the reality zone. The physical objects around them, the other people they deal with face to face, the memory of their interactions, the rules and norms that regulate their lives, they kind of have to because reality is what doesn't go away when you stop believing in it. If you want to keep gas in the car and food in the fridge and the kids clothed and fed and off to school on time, you have no choice but to believe in reality and to be uh, rational. And people indeed largely treat these beliefs as uh, testable and hold them to the extent that they think they're true. On the other hand, there's a whole universe of beliefs that are very different. The distant past, the unknowable future, faraway peoples and places, remote corridors of power, the microscopic, the cosmic, the counterfactual, the metaphysical, where beliefs in this zone are held because they're entertaining, they're uplifting, they're empowering, they're morally edifying. Whether they're true or false is, at least for most of our history as a species, unknowable. You can't find out, and so therefore irrelevant. You, can, you believe whatever it is entertaining or comfortable to believe. Whether it's true or false is kind of you're academic, uh, pedantic, beside the point. You can't know anyway. Uh, example, religious belief, which people hold on faith. That is, they don't hold them because the evidence points that way, but because they consider it to be morally edifying. National myths of the, the great heroic founders of our nation, historical fiction, and uh, conspiracy theories. One example is that the notorious um, Pizzagate theory, a predecessor of QAnon, uh, according to which Hillary Clinton was involved in a cabal of uh, Satan-worshipping pedophiles, and whose locus was thought to be, not far from here, the uh, called the, uh, the uh, Comet Ping-Pong, Ping-Pong Comet Pizzeria. Well, uh, turns out for many people, the way they expressed their belief uh, was to leave a one-star review on Google, such as, the pizza was incredibly undercooked, and I saw men looking suspiciously at my child. <laughs> now, this is not what you would do if you literally thought that children were being raped in the basement. You'd call the police. So clearly, people who believed in this, this theory believed in it in a very different sense uh, than, than uh, we would believe in events that we actually thought were transpiring. Well, it raises the question, how can we become more rational? Uh, again, the answer is, there is no simple answer to this. Partly is that the tools of formal rationality should become second nature, logic and probability and Bayesian reasoning and correlation and causation. Rationality should be the fourth R, together with reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, for example, I think instead of teaching high school students trigonometry, not that I have anything against trigonometry, but probably the hours in the school day would be better spent on probability. Second is norms of rationality should be promoted. Uh, we, it should be a uh, just part of our etiquette as educated, reasonable people, not to commit fallacies like the availability bias. I read about it this morning, therefore it's common. The my side bias, this is what I know all of you believe, therefore let's all assume it's true. 
arguing ad hominem, uh, that uh, the, they should be mortifying faux pas, uh, just like a, you know, like a, like a, a racist con telling a, uh, an ethnic joke uh, has become. And beliefs should be treated not as treasures to be guarded, but as hypotheses to be tested. It should be considered a character flaw to say, I'm going to hold on to this belief uh, even if I'm challenged. It should be considered a virtue that if the, as the cliche goes, if the uh, facts change, I change my mind. Third, and probably most crucial, institutions with rationally promoting rules must be cherished and fortified and safeguarded. Because we all are susceptible to fallacies and biases. None of us is infallible. None of us is omniscient. None of us has been vouchsafed with the truth by a, an oracle or, or a, a deity. Uh, in a epistemic community with rules that uh, are aimed toward achieving collective rationality, one person can notice and make up for another person's biases. As James Madison said about constitutional democracy, ambition uh, must be made to counter ambition. Even if someone has self-deceived themselves with some fallacious belief, other people can then point it out, even if they are motivated by their own drive for status and glory. These institutions make us collectively more rational than any of us could hope to be individually. Let me just give you a concrete example. In that logical card selection task, if D, then three, which cards do you have to turn over? When people work alone, 10% get it right. When people work in groups, 70% get it right. All it takes is for one person to spot the correct answer, and he will always, or at least 70% of the time, convince the other people in the group. What do I mean by rationality promoting institutions? Well. Science, with its mechanisms of empirical testing and peer review. Democratic government, with its checks and balances. Journalism, at least when it goes well, with its commitment to editing and fact-checking. The judicial system, with adversarial proceedings. Academia, at least in theory, if not always in practice, with the commitment to freedom of inquiry and open debate. Uh, even Wikipedia, with its which has a community of editors that can uh, change each other's uh, contributions under a general overarching commitment to neutrality and objectivity. One can compare this not so favorably with social media like Twitter, uh, which don't have mechanisms in place that slow down the propagation of ideas that subject them to fact-checking, criticism, uh, editing, peer review. Finally, why does rationality matter? Why don't we uh, go crazy, stop making sense? Well, rationality matters to our lives. People who follow the normative models that I have explained, probability and, and Bayesian reasoning and, and uh, expected utility, on average, not always, uh, get into fewer accidents, have fewer mishaps, and have better financial health and employment outcomes. Rationality drives material progress. In Enlightenment Now, and uh, again, partly uh, uh, underwritten and, and uh, inspired by humanprogress.org, 
Uh, I presented data that longevity, peace, prosperity, safety, and quality of life have all increased over time. As a result, I often get asked, do you believe in progress? And the answer is no, with uh, the humorist Fran Leibowitz, I don't believe in anything you have to believe in. <laughs> the um, universe does not contain any force that inexorably lifts us upward. Quite the contrary, the universe has a number of forces that kind of grind us down, like disease organisms, like entropy, like human nature. When progress occurs, it comes from deploying reason to improve human flourishing. That's how we eke increments of progress out of an unforgiving universe. Less obviously, I would argue that rationality drives moral progress. And in another book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined, uh, I found to my surprise that many moral movements that resulted in the decline of violence and oppression began with a rational argument. Uh, that uh, although I don't want to um, deny whatever credit goes to Peter, Paul, and Mary, and John and Yoko for reducing war, and, uh, but very often the first domino in a process of moral change was some thinker or moralist or philosopher who advanced an argument of why a practice of the time was inconsistent with other values that people claimed to hold. The argument would be disseminated in pamphlets and books, would, as we say, go viral, be debated in coffee houses and salons and uh, pubs, and would uh, then uh, affect decision makers and become the law of the land. So let me give you just some examples. Did people really need a rational argument as to why there might be something a wee bit wrong with burning heretics at the stake? Well, in fact, uh, they did. And it was provided by Sebastian Castellio in the 16th century, who said, argued, Calvin says he is certain, and other sects say that they are. Who shall be judge? In view of the uncertainty, we must define the heretic simply as one with whom we disagree. And if then we are going to kill heretics, the logical outcome will be a war of extermination, since each is sure of himself. What about sadistic forms of capital and corporal punishment, like disemboweling or breaking, at the, uh, breaking on the wheel? Well, indeed, the economist and first utilitarian Cesare Beccaria pointed out, as punishments become more cruel, the minds of men, which like fluids always adjust to the level of the objects that surround them, become hardened. And after a hundred years of cruel punishment, breaking on the wheel causes no more fear than imprisonment previously did. For a punishment to achieve its objective, it is only necessary that the harm that it inflicts outweighs the benefit that derives from the crime. And into this calculation ought to be factored the certainty of punishment and the loss of the good that the commission of the crime would produce. That is, expected utility. Everything beyond this is superfluous and therefore tyrannical. What about war? Did people need to be convinced that war is unhealthy for children and other living things? Well, as early as the 15th century, uh, Erasmus argued that the advantages derived from peace diffuse themselves far and wide and reach great numbers, while in war, if anything turns out happily, the advantage redounds only to a few. 
One man's safety is owing to the destruction of another. One man's prize is derived from the plunder of another. The cause of rejoicings made by one side is to the other a cause of mourning. In other words, he invoked what we would today call game theory to argue that this is a zero-sum game. Whatever is unfortunate in war is severely so indeed, and whatever on the contrary is called good fortune is a savage and a cruel good fortune, an ungenerous happiness deriving its existence from another's woe. Absolute monarchy or autocracy. John Locke famously uh, argued against that, noting that freedom under, of men under government is to have a standing rule to live by, common to every one of that society and made by the legislative power erected in it. A liberty to follow my own will in all things where that rule prescribes not, not to be subject to the inconstant, uncertain, unknown, arbitrary will of another man, as freedom of nature is to be under no other restraint but the law of nature. Now, often it happens that logical arguments against some barbaric practice can then be applied uh, in other domains where they seem to extend the logic of making one's values consistent with one another. And so shortly afterwards, Mary Astell, the first English feminist, wrote, if absolute so sovereignty be not necessary in a state, how comes it to be so in a family? Or if in a family, why not in a state? Since no reason can be alleged for the one that will not hold more strongly for the other. If all men are born free, how is it that all women are born slaves? As they must be if the being subject to the inconstant, uncertain, unknown, arbitrary will of men, sound familiar, be the perfect condition of slavery. And speaking of slavery, it may seem uh, abominable, unthinkable that anyone would have to provide an argument as to why something might be wrong with one person owning another, as if they were chattel or property. But arguments there were, such as by Frederick Douglass, who noted there are 72 crimes in the state of Virginia which if committed by a black man, man subject him to the punishment of death, while only two of the same crimes will subject a white man to the like punishment. What is this but the acknowledgement that the slave is a moral, intellectual, and responsible being? The manhood of the slave is conceded. It is admitted in the fact that the southern statute books are covered with enactments forbidding under severe fines and penalties the teaching of the slave to read or to write. When you can point to any such laws in reference to the beasts of the field, then I may consent to argue the manhood of the slave. Not only do reasons seem to have guided movements for change, but I would argue that they should guide movements for change. They make the difference between moral force and brute force, between marches for justice and lynch mobs, between human progress and breaking things. And they are needed to ensure that moral progress will continue, uh, that the some of the practices of today will be seen by our descendants as inconceivable as heretic burning and slave auctions seem to us. And uh, I would even conclude that the power of rationality to guide moral progress is of a piece with its power to guide material progress and wise choices in our lives. We are a species that has been endowed with a elementary faculty of reason and have developed norms and institutions that, uh, and formulas that magnify its scope. They 
awaken us to worlds and expose us to realities that may confound our intuitions, but are true for all that. Thank you. Steven Pinker is author of Rationality, What It Is, Why It Seems Scarce, Why It Matters. He spoke at the Cato Institute's Cato Club event in October. Now it's time for a thank you to a Cato sponsor, Brian Solomon. Thank you for your support of the Cato Institute and this podcast. It's not overstating it to say we simply could not do our work advancing civil society without supporters like you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. Follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.